Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Good. Oh yeah. Also, I'll be introing in French. Uh, merci for listening to Trai L'Amour, uh, a literal roundtable podcast, where we talk about le cinéma or uh, les posenés we saw or met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Je suis Jason Daphne, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Oh, boy. Um, thank you, Jason. I'm Cody Narvison, and if anybody has a lamp that needs fixing, uh, just let me know, and I'd be happy to take a look. Uh, but for now, you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I've never been so frustrated to follow Jason as I am right now. Uh, but moi, Harry Mackin, you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry, and I took Spanish in high school. And who's that? Who's that? Oh my gosh, it's your friend, Aaron. He's He just saw you on the corner. He's inviting you in to come have a whiskey, a nice cold whiskey beverage. Why don't you come sit around with my family and watch TV with me? You can find me on Twitter at RB, please. We are discussing the final in our series on uh, Jacques Tati films playing at the Trilon. We are talking about Playtime. I do not know the French title for this one, so Le Playtime. 1967, uh, sort of mid-career based on the ones that we've already covered, but I will let Aaron take it away with a quick summary. Yes, uh, yes, Playtime, 67, directed by Jacques Tati once again, starring Tati once again as the classic character uh, of Monsieur Hulot. If you've been keeping track at home and you've been watching and listening along to these episodes, which I assume you all have been doing, then congratulations. You've officially seen all of the feature-length films uh, involving the character of Monsieur Hulot. And I only say feature-length films because apparently there is some uh, discussion and debate about what a film is, a <clears throat> film and whatnot. Uh, Playtime. Uh, very generally follows the character of Hulot as he wanders around different areas of Paris, uh, mainly a few different areas, a, a futuristic office building, a trade show for office supplies and furniture, a uh, friend's apartment, and a newly opened restaurant that uh, slowly falls apart as the evening progresses. Hulot's experiences with these areas in Paris, as well as the people in them, uh, kind of generally satirizes an, uh, at the time, uh, exaggerated idea of the future, as well as elements uh, common to society at the time that the, the film was created. Um, the film is known for its long and complicated production. Uh, an extremely large and expensive uh, set known as Tativille was created for this film and helped to create the uh, stunning kind of larger-than-life shot specifically in the first half of the film and the, the office sequence, uh, for example. Um, overall, Playtime is generally regarded as Tati's masterpiece, although it was a massive uh, commercial failure on release in 1967. Uh, the film has gone on to be regarded as one of the greatest films uh, ever made. Uh, Jason, that's what I got. 
Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate that. Uh, merci. Uh, so I'm going to keep my um, initial feedback, my initial thoughts, mostly on the positive side, um, because the end is sort of uh, ends with a not a lot of there there type thing. But um, I feel like the uh, transition from the sort of working, busy, foolish, uh, waking world uh, into the boisterous sort of go with the flow, uh, pure vibes evening time in this movie is just a really grand switch uh that's flipped i i really love how the movie is like pretty easily defined as those two halves roughly um clearly the back half outpaces the first half i think in terms of entertainment and sort of the reason you're watching it but it's not as clear until you get to that point why you're going through all of that you've gone through in, in the earlier parts of the film um i don't know that it's as uh i don't want to say smart but as like maybe constant uh and maybe as attention grabbing paste i guess as some of the other uh hulu films we've seen i really like i did enjoy watching this uh cody and aaron and i managed to watch this together the other night and it was a, a pleasant one it was it was more enjoyable i guess as a as a fellow's watch than traffic was but not quite as much as mon oncle or maybe even uh monsieur lois holiday i'm getting into the ranking thing too early but uh as I said at the top, I don't know that there's a whole lot of there there. Um, it is very clearly another vehicle for me anyway, for a lot of um, Tati's better like visual ideas, his uh, gags and his sort of the mood he wants to create rather than uh, like a, a sort of a, a really pointed point, maybe. Um, unfortunately, uh, and I do mean this as, um, you know, a sincere content warning. Uh, there are a few unfortunate cheap shots of the Greeks in this film. Um, it's it really feels low handed. Uh, it's un really unappreciated. Uh, I take umbrage with it. Clearly that should go unsaid, but, um, I, I did want to just warn any, uh, any of the Hellenic peoples might be listening to this that, um, right, right around like, what was it? The 13 minute mark or so, uh, there's some really, uh, unfortunate and unfair, um, snipes taken at the, at the ancient Greeks. Uh, you should know that before going in, but otherwise, uh, get ready for uh, great, uh, a great Hulu comedy um, that uh, has a lot of fun with its staging and sort of the world that it's built. It is very clear that it is not set in the real world, which felt to me like it added to the vibe, um, to the to the feeling of, uh, I guess, I will not use the L word that Aaron hates to hear, but it is that kind of a space. Um, and uh, before we, uh, or sorry, before I go on too long. Hates him. Absolutely. I mean, lesbians. Sorry, deeply homophobic. Uh, it's un Aaron, unfortunately, the women, unfortunately, yeah, I'm, it's really, you know, we, we've avoided talking about it this long, but uh, it had to come up sometime. Yeah, I, you should we go back and record something for the intro? Um, I do want to, uh, you know, I'm waving, I'm waving at uh, Cody through the window, uh, but oh, before you come too close, Cody, uh, open the door first, uh, make sure that it's fully open and then Cody. pass through safely. Thank you. Thank you. Pass through safely uh, because it is your turn to give your top of the head thoughts. Wow. What a, what a beautiful thing that just happened. Um, wow. And now I'm here. I'm in. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Jason, uh, for letting me into the show. Uh, no real surprise here. I've enjoyed and had fun with uh, every movie in this series and I enjoyed and had fun with playtime. Uh, it's uh, fun, at least for me to think about where this lands in Tati's filmography and, you know, the types of things that feed into and out of this movie to other works or from other works of his, uh, like Monsieur Hulot, engaging with his environment in playtime feels like it sprouts from how Hulot maneuvers through Mon Oncle. And you look, and that makes sense because Tati made Mon Oncle. And assuming I read this right, uh, playtime was his next release nine years later. Like there's a big gap there. So you figure these ideas had 
time to sort of ferment and evolve with the times, uh, which they needed to do. Because before we know it, this bizarre future that Tati um, was imagining has suddenly come to fruition in some ways. Uh, but then there's also a distinct trafic flavor and playtime and how these set pieces have, you know, they're given more time to digest without uh, a focus on concrete, quote unquote, gags or, or any sort of clear cut payoff. Uh, and we're more, you know, maybe quietly or not so quietly, I guess, meditating on the overlooked eccentricities and dysfunctions of cities and, and spaces. With Playtime and Trafik, there are also more sleight-of-hand sight gags within a, a very dense frame that are they feel rewarding not necessarily because they happened, but because you saw them happen. You were able to find them and kind of bask in them for a second. You caught them as they happened uh, when no one else in, in the frame noticed or, or even really cared. Um, a, a visual thesis that plays in all of Tati's work, uh, at least ones that we've seen, uh, and it plays here as well as how the architecture of society kind of corrals us without us realizing it or without us being able to easily combat it uh, in playtime through a series of antics, namely taking place in that aforementioned restaurant uh, sequence or sequences. We start to see those walls literally start to come down and by the end, you know, the sun comes up and we get to overcome the limitations of our existence all over again. Um, and I, I guess scoping out a little bit, anything you see or read about playtime indicates and indicated to me as well. And maybe the rest of the fellas that Hulo, you know, he has those scenes where he zips around a hypermodern cubicle filled office building, which ended up being the first 20 odd minutes of the movie. Um, and then the movie pivots away from that pretty aggressively kind of uh, it wasn't that i couldn't find a way to latch onto those sequences but rather i couldn't quite vibe with the way in which those daytime sequences fed into the later sequences at night and at the restaurant i guess maybe that goes back to the more free-flowing nature of playtime and it's backing away from you know this is the payoff for this gag and now we're moving on which is maybe to say there's something about playtime's energy i preferred slightly less and that's a weird thing for me to square because i think I noted, uh, we probably all noted during our watch that the restaurants, uh, the restaurant sequences rather felt very fun and maybe, you know, more developed and, uh, you know, Tati probably could have easily made a whole movie just about that. But part of the reason that sings as well as it does is because we spent time elsewhere in the city for the first half or so of the movie before we got there. Um, so I guess I'm interested to see where I land with that. Um, but in any case, and at the very least, uh, playtime felt like an appropriate culmination of our glimpse into his filmography. I mean, this is kind of like the big headlining film, uh, I guess, of his career as far as we're concerned. And I've become thankful that we've dug into these because the more I look around, the more I get the feeling that Tati is a filmmaker who ages well with our generation, despite a certain hesitancy to look closer, um, like just from mild browsing. Uh, and this gets into our recent off-mic uh, conversations about gripes with Letterboxd. Uh, Tati seems like a prime target for Letterboxd people to be like, didn't understand this, but damn, French people sure are zany. Five stars. And so I guess <laughs> I guess I'm saying I'm happy I get to better understand films through this outlet of ours, uh, this humble little, little podcast, and I'm looking forward to talking about this one as well. But for now, Harry, time to play. I don't know why you had to call out my Letterboxd review like that, Cody. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought I was being funny. Look, I'll <laughs> still like it. I'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. 
All right. Sure. Thank you. Um, you guys, honestly, you stated a lot of what I had been thinking. So I'm gratified that you went first and that I got to hear those thoughts because I was a little bit worried about it. Right. Because like, I know that this is Tati's most acclaimed film. I think it's the one that I maybe on a formal sort of, um, technical level appreciated the most. And I think it is also the one I enjoyed the least by a pretty round margin, to be honest. Um, I think that that has something to do with the, like the mousetrap like construction, right. Where like in my opinion, opinion the first hour of this movie is essentially an extended prelude to the second um the second half of this movie is is essentially one long scene in that garden party and that that one long scene is like mon uncle levels of set piece construction and the way that everything is meticulously constructed to fall apart it reminded me of like stage adaptations of like the play that falls apart or like noises off and, and stuff like that it's like it's really really masterfully constructed in that way and really impressive um especially the way it it sort of like it tunes you to be set up for that fall so that you can sort of like experience the the reframing that tati really uses all of his films to accomplish right where like we are getting a sense of the dysfunctionality of humanity relative to the systems we inhabit and the ways in which we are actually a strange um imperfect fit for those systems. Um, but you've heard me say these things before, right? And I, I think that's that's true because like, I think my favorite things about these movies increasingly are becoming just my fascination with and appreciation for Tati's thematic overtures more so than his actual sort of like uh, final manifestations of those overtures. And similarly to this, like I didn't find myself appreciating the moment to moment interplay of this movie uh, to the extent that I did the the others. Um, I don't know if that's because it's, it's a more pointed critique of uh, particularly like tourism and French society than I was looking for, or if it's because I think that maybe this movie is more interested in being clever than it is in being funny, unlike some of the other ones. And I think that I just like, I didn't connect with the cleverness of this movie the way that I connected with the humor of the other movies. Um, there were there were parts of this movie that felt deeply influential in in kind of a an unfortunate way almost where like this is like a it's it's pre Banksy but in a post Banksy world like when you see that like oh these tourists are taking pictures of this stall and and they keep getting in each other's way and look like one of them opens this glass door and the Eiffel Tower was right there and we could see it all along if only they knew how to look it's like I get it right but like it it's sort of loud and a little bit even. Um, like hateful in a way that I I'm not looking for from Tati's movies. And I know that's not what he's going for, but that was just sort of like that contributed to this sense. Um, but again, like I think that pays off, right? Because I think that, that these characters undergo an arc and learn to take themselves less seriously and learn to sort of like look around and smell the roses um, the way that Hulot does um, in a similar manner to some of his other movies. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I wonder what it would have been like to see this one first and I wonder what it would have been like to watch with you guys, right? But but my context for this movie being what it was, I think I I enjoyed it a little bit less than I wanted to. Um, although I think that it is like unquestionably a technical achievement for the ages, right? Like I think that in terms of set design and, and construction and um, blocking, it's like an unbelievable achievement. Um, it just maybe wasn't as fun for me to watch as I thought. And uh, now I'm... 
it looks like I'm holding the door open. In fact, I've already smashed through the door, so I'm just holding open the handle. But I'm going to turn the handle and then move it to allow Aaron into the building. Hello, Aaron. How are you doing? I I have unfortunately uh, bumped uh, heads with somebody coming out of the building at the same time. Uh, as if there was a pane of glass there. Uh, Ooh, ironically. that's gonna smart. Yeah, it, it is gonna it is gonna smart. Um, I uh, respect Harry's opinions here. I uh, appreciate where he's coming from, uh, but I sure disagreed that he does not no, actually respect I'm, your opinion. I'm, no, I'm, I no, I I do, I do, I absolutely see where Harry's coming from. I, however, uh, thought playtime uh, was really delightful. I think I I do agree that maybe in the moment. Uh, I enjoyed my uncle a bit more. I think there's a kind of uh, maybe a little quieter and more controlled nature to that film that allows some of the gags to to kind of stand out uh, a little bit. Um, I think that this is also this is longer than Tati's other films. I believe this is this comes at it just over two hours. Is there another one we watched that was that long? Um, I don't. Mm, think I feel so. like Traffic was close. Yeah, yeah. it was like an hour forty five, maybe. Yeah, I think this is the longest. Yeah, uh, so I, I think this does go down pretty smoothly, but like I, I generally think that maybe in the moment I liked my uncle uh, a bit more. But I do think, looking back at it, I do think that I understand why people call this uh, Tati's masterpiece. I mean, so we're we're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of the time talking about the restaurant sequence. I will in a bit. I do want to shout out some of the office uh, sequences at the beginning of the film, not just the office, but the the trade show as well. Uh, that is is structured similarly uh, to to the office, uh, very purposefully. So it was the the same set that they reused, and the fact that they look the same is very intentional, right? Um, I, I think there is a lot of like interesting stuff there, uh, not even thematically interesting stuff, but stuff that I just really appreciate. Um, I think that this this film could hardly be called a science fiction film, but I do think that there are very weird parallels with how science fiction was putting uh, technological and social um, advances, not just advances, but changes and putting those in a different context and trying to uh, predict what that might look like. Right. Like there's not exactly like uh, flying, you know, like made vacuum robots, but like a lot of the stuff in here kind of feels like that. Um, Oh man, that's such a sick point. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. (laughs) Uh, you can interrupt all of my points to say that. Actually, would you? Would you? Would you please? The next point, no matter how bad it is, please interrupt and say it's a signal. I gotcha. Would help me out. Yeah. Um, a thing that's been pointed out about this film is that uh, it did, for example, uh, predict cubicles like way before cubicles were a thing. Cubicles are in this film, right? Um, I, I think this was probably one of a number of different uh, works that predicted, you know, cubicles and things like that. Um, but Man, this, what this film. Point? feels kind of science fictiony, right? Um, and and but like Cody, uh, I think that most surprising going into this film was the gulf between my expectations for the film and what I actually saw on screen. Um, the film is is I, I think if you Google it, if you just like see stuff about this movie, it's mostly the the shots of the the office cubicles and the the you know the trade show. Um, but but it is really the penultimate sequence here in the restaurant. The restaurant is called the Royal Garden. It's like a 50-minute uh, sequence that just keeps building and building towards this chaotic uh, climax. Um, it, it's really wonderful. I think it's it's honestly maybe one of the most stunning sequences I've seen in a film. Uh, one thing we, we talked about with the garden party sequence um, was how that, that that's maybe 20 minutes or so. And it's it feels like all of these gags are... 
uh, from earlier in the film and other sequences are being kind of brought to their conclusion. Here we get to see Tati for 50 minutes build up the gags and keep reinserting them and build them up. And, and it just keeps building and building. Um, and it's really wonderful. And like, honestly, like the, the biggest bummer about watching this film is that I, I don't know where you go. If you enjoy something like that, like, I don't know, you know, there are like, like you watch Lawrence of Arabia, like Ben Hur, like where else do you see that kind of like intense staging and choreography and and that kind of momentum being built over the course of, you know, an hour or so. I don't know where you go. And so I, I'm left with this kind of like lingering sadness that that there's nowhere there's nowhere that there's no films that are doing this kind of stuff anymore, which is kind of a boomer point. But that's kind of like the 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 thing that I kept thinking about when this film ended is that I don't I'm like, oh, I like the films of Jacques Tati. I specifically like my uncle in Playtime the most because uh, they build up in that manner. Where do I go? And I don't really have any recommendations. And so maybe we can kind of figure that out together. But yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like I feel like movies use that, but to a lesser extent, they use it in a very contained way, like scenes rather than whole buildups and acts. Uh, it's a good point that I'm sure you can find counterexamples, but as a general trend, like it does seem like this was a style that no longer is a style. It is now more of a flair. It is now more of a, like a, like a feather in the cap, a hat on a hat rather than, you know, the point rather than the, uh, the overall flow and pacing of the thing. Um, I really liked what, uh, it's selfish because it kind of syncs up with what something I was saying, but I really liked what Cody was saying about how the architecture in this movie and generally like the flow of, of society sort of corrals us into different spaces. And I was hoping maybe Cody, you could expand on that a little bit because I feel like it has a natural end point um, too, and near the like middle of the film where we get into the dinner scene and uh, you know how the diner just goes completely off the rails and how that, you know, like the first half of the movie sort of necessarily sets up the second half. Could you set us up for that? Yeah, I can try to. And I, I guess b- b- to, I don't know, as a sort of defining statement leading in, feeding into this, uh, what Harry said about kind of like respecting what this movie is doing versus like actually truly enjoying it or, you know, in the same way that we've maybe had fun with some of the other films in this series, uh, I think is pretty spot on to how I kind of feel about I guess what we're about to talk about and about this movie in general, um, not to say that I didn't in, enjoy this film. I, I, as I've said, I like, I have, I don't know. I feel like it's impossible to not have fun with these, but, um, I, I guess, I don't know. There's a, there is a certain, I don't know, element of respecting this, but not feeling like I, you know, the absence of gags in the same way. And I guess to, get to what you were saying, Jason, the, the feeding into this, you know, we, we see the, the cubicles and the buildings up front. Um, it's daytime we're feeding into, and everything is cubicles, right? Like not, not just the, the office building, but also the places where people go, um, after they're done working, these apartment complexes are also very, um, geometric. Uh, it's quadrangles all over the place. It's been a while since I took geometry. Um, but there is something to this and, and maybe I'm, editorializing again but you know there's something to be said about how these spaces are very um again pointedly geometric they're also very gray they lack personality and i think a lot of what this movie is doing is you know instead of playing in environments that have these interesting personalities maybe like what we're doing uh in on mononcle uh in that you know yard with you know uh, different opportunities for you know uh, spaces to have fun with and and different elements of the set piece we're kind of deconstructing what 
makes it so these spaces can, I guess, have personalities worth exploring. And, and that's once the walls start to come down. And, and that's what happens in this, this restaurant sequence. You know, it, it's this somewhat recently opened restaurant, maybe like there's still construction going on and things being put together as people start to come through the door. Um, and uh, people are enjoying these nice dinners. These people, these employees behind the scenes are scrambling to keep the place from figuratively collapsing. And then it was about the moment when Hulo shatters through the glass door where you're like you Leonardo DiCaprio point at the screen and they're like, Oh, um, you know, yeah, I, <laughs> I get it now. Um, and then, uh, also the fact that he's six foot three and he, uh, is, you know, I, I, he, or no, he's reaching for, for something, uh, up uh, on a wall. And then that's the first instance of like a, a part of the wall literally mm-hmm. coming down and the building becomes something entirely new and different. And y- you, see uh, i'm also tiptoeing tiptoeing around words that aaron doesn't like um but like the that environment feeds into the demeanor of these of these people um anyway i've I've gone on probably way too long i don't know if any of that made a lot of sense but that's that is like the flow of this movie as it's been said it's two distinct halves it's a, a consistent sort of gradual unraveling um and harry would you think of it Yeah, um, I had two thoughts. I wanted to respond to something Aaron had said first about how it's tough to to point to modern equivalents of the sort of um, formal construction of this movie. I think that's only in part because of how masterful and how elaborately constructed this movie is. I think it's also because of how understated that construction is, right? Like at maybe in this movie more than the other movies, but even to a lesser extent than I would in a modern movie, I was never at any point like so overwhelmed by the technical virtuosity that I was seeing that I was taken out of the movie itself. It was always, and to make a very boomer point, it was always in actual service to the film and the ideas of the film, right? Like even during the Royal Garden sequence, where at a certain point you realize you've been watching a single take for like half an hour and you're like, how is it fucking possible that they pulled this off? Um, you you are still invested in what's happening in the moment to moment sense there. Um, I think that that's a big difference between like modern movies, because if a modern movie did that, it would be so invested in making sure you understood it was doing that, that it would take you out of the movie, right? Like I'm thinking about movies like Birdman or like Roma, right? Where like they both had these sort of almost gimmick styles of technical virtuosity employed in them where like Roma actually does a similar thing in this movie, right? Where like it's, it's big set piece moments are like these, these, very, very long scenes that involve a ton of extras doing complex things all at once. Um, But in that movie, there's something about how loud that was that almost took me out of it. And I didn't experience that in this movie to this movie's great credit, right? And that's partially because this movie has so many ideas that it's moved you through so much technical mastery that any one set piece just feels like the next brilliant idea that Tati had, right? Like we got the, we got the apartment sequence right before we got the garden party sequence. And then we got the, the moving in, in one single continuous um, scene from an office into a set design that looks exactly like the office, right? And Tati interacts with all of these people and then they come back. And so like this movie is such a meticulously constructed sort of like Swiss watch that 
um, you don't even understand that the parts that are moving are that complex because they don't look that complex to the, to the naked eye. Right. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say to sort of respond to some of Cody's points was just that I really love, again, the way Tati characterizes the fundamental, uh, disagreement or dysfunctionality or tension between humans in their environment, because I think it would be so easy to make that something that is hateful, either of humans or their environment, right? Like you could, you could be a very Banksy person and talk about how like fundamentally dehumanizing these contemporary spaces are to the, to the human animal and how like we are not meant to be living this way in these geometries and it's, it's killing us, right? Tati doesn't really do that. And it would be really easy to be hateful about humanity itself and be like, look at how stupid we are and look at how unworthy we are of these environments we've constructed for ourselves because of how dysfunctional we naturally are. He doesn't do that any either. Instead, his his comedy is so empathetic and it's just about how fundamentally these systems and these people are in this sort of like endless almost happy dysfunctioning tension with one another where like it never really works the way we want it to, but there's something kind of funny and charming about that. And it ends up elevating the humans above their environment and sort of like makes what you should appreciate about people, the very sort of dysfunction that's creating the problems. And I think that in all of these movies and especially in this movie, like all of the characters kind of come to see that. Right. And they're, it's funny because they're all in these sort of liminal journeys. They're all tourists or they're all um, like meeting at a trade show. And like during, as a product of that experience, they sort of have this arc where they come to realize that actually like, although these things are frustrating them, they are themselves the, the reason for the journey, right? Like it's not the destination. It's not what you pull off, but it's like, it's, it's the friends you made along the way. Right. And I think that that's really well encapsulated by the literal you like reappropriation of architecture in the, um, Royal garden scene where the literally the house starts fucking falling apart. And then the guy who was once a, a very pompous, uh, businessman with a cigar who was very concerned about where he's sitting, he like, he like reappropriates the fallen apart parts of the um building and like creates this secondary party that's occurring at the same time and and to get in you have to be you have to he has to see the the wet paint that's on your jacket right from when you were sitting down and it's like it's really brilliant the way that it it does that in real time where you can actually see these people transform as they start to sort of look around and and move outside of the geometries that had defined them previously and as always hulo sort of functions as a catalyst in that manner um but i i think that that there's something about the fact that it all happens in real time in this movie that makes it even more sort of like starkly apparent how brilliant it is, I think. Um, so sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say in regard to the kind of the empathetic or sympathetic uh, nature of this film, I think that the, the most, the most kind of notable example of that in my mind is the way that the film handles uh, the character of Barbara, who is a young American tourist, right. Uh, played by Barbara Denick, uh, another another character who Tati just allows to use their first name, uh, similar to Traffic, where it, that just happens like four times. Every single character is just John because the actor is John. It's, uh, it's the um, cinema verite thing. Well, it's, none of these names are ever being brought up, right? So it's it's like, all right, yeah, you're you're Barbara. It Might as well, matter. yeah. Um, but I, I originally, you know, at the beginning of the film, I did think that the 
the movie is maybe a little mean spirited towards her character. Um, it's yeah. kind of hard to tell what uh, Tati actually thinks about uh, specifically Americans and, and even more specifically American tourists. Um, and there's a, there's a scene where the, near the beginning where she's a, attempting to uh, take a picture of a, uh, a, a woman who is um, selling flowers, at like a, a stand on the street and, you know, French uh, hooligans and, and businessmen and whatever keep walking into her shot and she keeps getting like increasingly exasperated. Um, and I was, kind of curious like okay is is this just another thing that Tati is playing around with um is he actually like is this a bit more biting than he usually is here and i think by the end of the film i think i came to the conclusion that that no i think that that Tati really does um like these people as well right but he does view them as curiosities in a certain manner and i think that specifically during the um during the restaurant sequence in the royal garden you get to see that character uh, you know, she gets up to start playing the piano. Uh, you start seeing uh, her maybe a little bit more close up than you had before. She's smiling, right? Um, and she she has this this just energetic, uh, like contagious, uh, like positive uh, vibe and like nature that just like helps bring that scene uh, to another level. And like it, it really does make you think. Like I think Tati, there. I really don't sense much hate here. I don't know. Maybe yeah. Harry, Harry would disagree, but like, it does seem like he is, is viewing these people uh, as just waiting to kind of break out of the confines that society is placing them in. Um, and that when they're allowed to do that, you know, they, they have the opportunity to uh, be great people, be colorful, funny, humorous, you know, wonderful people, just like everybody else, I guess. Yeah, really quickly, I just voicing my general, um, I, I guess, agreement with that kind of assessment of uh, her, uh, Barbara, um, the young tourist, uh, as well as just the, the tourists as a whole, because that's sort of our framing device for the movie, right? Like it starts and these uh, this group of American tourists, uh, they arrive at this airport and the movie ends kind of when, when Barbara and the rest of them are departing, I think. Um, citing them as like curiosities to be observed, just like everybody else in this movie is, um, I, I think a good way to characterize them. And you're right. It, it is the sort of, it, you're kind of not scratching your head, but you're sort of like, okay, is this, is this more mean spirited um, with her um, trying to take pictures and other people kind of getting in her way and sort of uh, like this mocking kind of tone um, there in the, the, I guess the trade show or whatever you call it. Um, the, the kind of gaggle of a uh, female American tourist um, ooing and eyeing over a vacuum cleaner also felt like weirdly pointed. Um, but in the end it is, there is this air of sympathy in that like she, you know, Barbara, the rest of them, everybody, we all have to kind of work to find our, our spaces in this world, just like everybody else does. Uh, she eventually finds a space for herself at the piano and that's like a really I don't, like nice moment for her and her character. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. An, an interesting through line for the movie, I, I guess is, is where I'm at. Man, you both characterize that so well. I really love what Cody, you just said about finding your place in the world. And I really love um, Aaron, what you noted about how these people are just waiting to break out of the confines of their society. I think those are both like really pitch perfect um, characterizations of what was happening there. I just wanted to add that I found that first scene really fascinating where she's trying to take a picture of that flower seller because it is, it feels sharper, right? But I think that's, that's partially because of like the dynamic that we naturally read into it as people who have experienced something like that in 
real life, right? Where like when I see a tourist who is taking pictures of just people, it's it's a hateful thing in my mind, right? Because it's like you, you are fundamentally objectifying like people, right? Like that's kind of the the inner nastiness of the tourist is that like you were this outside observer who are who is there to sort of like objectify a culture and a people to make them part of an experience that you get to have. Um, I think before that gets hateful, it's it's turned on its head and there's there's a rotation of power dynamic there that's really interesting where not only is she unable to take pictures because the the very thing that she's trying to photograph keeps getting in her way, right? Like the the rest of the life of Paris. Um, it it's not what she wants it to be. It's it's a bunch of things all at once, which is itself a pointed metaphor. But then another tourist wants to take a picture of her. And so like she can't help but A, become a participant and B, become herself sort of the same objectified curiosity that that she herself is trying Ooh, to depict yeah which is really funny like i think that 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 kind of takes some of the sting out of it because it makes it this universal thing where like it was always going to happen to you too that sort of thing um uh as a, as a sort of um aside also like there is a very stinging moment in this movie and it's it's those uh american women tourists at one point they're looking at that futuristic um, broom that lights up and one of them says oh this would make a great gift for my maid which was like holy shit Tati. oh yeah fucking across the bow like i mean like if you're gonna take a shot that's a that's a pretty good shot to take but it is an interesting line in the context of the rest of this movie um but then then finally um to agree with what aaron was saying i think that specifically what happens to barbara is she stops being an observer and she starts being a participant right like she starts actually actively engaging with not just sort of her what she wants to take away from this experience, but she makes herself a part of it. She finds a place in it, right? Like she, she takes up the piano and she's playing for everyone. She's interacting with everyone. She's appreciating everyone as only a participant could, as only someone who's actually actively involved in the sort of system as it develops. And I think that's kind of this movie's sort of whole underlying thesis, right? Is that like, remember that you're a part of this and so is everybody else and act like it, right? Like be, be a part of this thing as it unfolds in all of its chaos and all of its, um, ridiculousness, right? Because like, you know, you, you think about the cars that are going through the circle and you think about like all of these people who are constantly at tension with their own office equipment, right? Like there's that guy that keeps trying to slam the door and the, the whole point of the door is that it can't be slammed because it's perfectly silent. And like, there's, there's just a lot of, um, rich text there for that reading, I think. Uh, Harry, I wanted to talk about sort of the glass. You called up the glass particularly when you'll uh, – sorry, there's several t- moments in the film I want to set the stage here. Several moments in the film where, <clears throat> excuse me, during transitional scenes, um, people will be walking through a door or you know a bus will open or whatever. And in the reflection, not actually in frame, but in the reflection, you will see a famous Paris monument. Uh, I believe they show the uh, Champs-Élysées, the Arc de Triomphe, the, um, the Eiffel Tower, definitely – uh, and it sounded like you felt that was a little bit more venomous, um, than I had perceived it to be just to lay the groundwork. I, when I saw those shots, I figured it was like building toward that, uh, moment of like, I guess depicting like people noticing those places just a bit too late or maybe not making time for them or maybe taking them for granted, um, until we're already through and we're into a ne- into the next scene before, you know, finally the end of the movie lets us really have that moment of, of reverie that, that, uh, you know, beautiful, uh, well, I guess reveling is the more of the word that I was looking for. Um, 
but the moment when everything can, can kind of break loose, people have their you know new space and it's outside of uh, regimented society and work and they've just got their place. But until then, those moments of reflection literally are, you know, when they see monuments in the background, um, are like those moments of of almost levity that they're place setting, obviously, and they're sort of, I'm assuming, also a cheap way to set the scene uh, that doesn't require them shooting on location at the Eiffel Tower, for example. But it sounded like you maybe saw something a little different in those. Oh, not necessarily different. I just think that like that was it was important setting for the beginning of the arc, which again, like like the arc needs to be about improvement. So there is a little bit of venom there. Like, I don't know. I just I kind of referenced it as like um, your kind of typical tourist irony, right? Where it's like these are these are tourists who are shuttling from uh, big trade show to trade show to like um, newfangled like technological um displays and at one point you see all of these posters that are like there's tokyo like there's berlin or um hawaii and like they're all pictures of the exact same looking building and it's the building that they're currently in right Mm -hmm. and like i I think that 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 juxtaposed with the like the reflections in the the very modernist glass was sort of like oh look at look at the the irony of like look at what you're missing when you're more engaged with like what you're trying to get out of this experience than what this experience is. Right. Or like, look at, look at the ways in which the, the mechanization or the automation of tourism or of, um, convenience has deprived us of the ability to sort of like get outside of ourselves and look around and and notice, um, what there is to notice. Um, but I, as you said, I think that it's interesting, right? Because I think that the, the movie definitely moves away from that. For sure. Um, did anybody else have any th- other thoughts about like the use of glass throughout? Like, obviously, it's that moment, like the little um, dollhouse style set pieces that he can have, like where there's a group of men moving, uh, you know, a pane of glass inside of a building, and there's a whole throng on the street watching them. Or when you've got that, what I think is a pretty good scene where there are two families uh, who serve two couples, I guess, who live um, uh, tangent to one another in apartments, mm-hmm. but with a solid wall separating them course people from the outside can see them uh in their daily lives and you know they're watching tv it looks like they're sort of uh you know responding to one another and it's just like i want to be able to just chalk those up and say uh those are just that's just tati's style you know like he is the observer he wanted hulo to be like an observing comedic character but is there like are there is there more to that or is that literally just like listen we're gonna have a little bit of fun with this um yeah i mean i I think that the specifically you know we're supposed to uh, kind of draw parallels between um, the the office at the very beginning uh, and kind of the, the cubicle nature uh, of those offices, very specifically uh, with, with four walls, but no, no ceiling to them, right? So they can be looked into and observed uh, from the outside, uh, uh, but cannot be, you know, if you were inside, you cannot see anything meaningful uh, uh, by looking up, right? Um, I think that we're we're kind of supposed to compare that to um, the trade show sequence, which I mentioned earlier was filmed in the same set. Like it's like the same proportions, right? And in which, you know, every booth or vendor there has kind of this little nicely uh, proportioned uh, square area in which they can sell the products. Um, I think that, and, and very specifically, you know, the, the stuff that they're selling is extremely similar to the stuff that we've seen in the office. Um, and then we're supposed to compare both of those to what we see uh, in the apartments, right. That are similarly kind of squared off, uh, you know, visible from the outside uh, you know, and, and 
in structured in the same manner uh, in which the workplace is right and in how domestic life has been uh, changed due to the changes in the workplace about how one kind of follows from the other I think that Tati would say probably uh, the, the changes to uh, you know homes and apartments followed from what was going on uh, you know in the office but maybe it's kind of Maybe it's possible that they're both uh, uh, coming from the same symptoms at the same time, you might say. Um, so I don't know. I, I thought a lot of that was, was quite uh, interesting. I don't think it's just a kind of a visual motif. I do think that there are, um, you know, kind of playful and, and very beautiful uh, things happening with um, the angles and the, you know, whatnot there. But I, I don't know. I thought it felt more purposeful to me, I guess. Man, that's such a great point. I really love the parallel between the cubicle and the apartment complex. I think that that really works with this sort of movement of power and observation as it sort of changes hands or changes perspective through this movie, right? Like, like you're right. I, the, the whole thing of the cubicles is that when you're in the cubicle, you can't see anything. But when you're above the cubicle, you can see everything. We get to see that perspective, right? That bird's eye perspective looking down. Later on, we get to see every room in the apartment because of these floor to ceiling windows where like when you're in the window, there's an irony there, right? Where it looks like you can see everything outside. But in fact, everyone outside can see you inside that. And it looks like it's, it's sort of a who's in the zoo situation. That's also um, a motif that's uh, recreated with the tourist buses that are so open and they're supposed to be all about like, oh, you can see everything in these windows as we pass by and you'll get a view of the whole city. That's also true. Like everybody can see them inside there. At one point during the apartment sequence, um, a tourist bus goes by and the people in the apartments look at the people in the tourism bus and the people in the tourism bus look at the people in the um, uh, apartments, right? And so like there's this there's this exchange of observation and in observe and observed. And like, that's so it's that's encapsulated by um, Tati's vision himself. Right. Where like, I, I think I, in one of the earlier episodes, I referred to Tati's camera as like God, but like, that's so true of the fact that like this movie is, is about continually reframing the way that we see um any sort of environment because we see it from every perspective, right? Like we see it from bird's eye view. We see it from on the show floor. We see it from the tourist perspective. We see it from the workers perspectives. Like the, the garden party scene is the perfect um, examination of that or the, the Royal garden sequence where like, we don't just follow the, um, the customers or the partiers, right? Like we go into the kitchen and we see the employees who are desperately trying to keep this thing together. We see the fact that like, um, the, the scaffolding holding this up is, is held together by like a prayer. Right. And that, that happens constantly throughout this movie is that this thing that is so meticulous and so constructed, like we are given this sneak peek behind the curtain and we get to see the fact that it's all falling apart in real time. That's that happens, um, in traffic, like in, in the traffic in this movie, um, it happens in, on the trade floor. It happens in the apartments. It's, it's like there there's this constant observation that like hey if you just like look around a little bit like if you just take it take a peek behind the the curtain it's like uh we talked about like um i don't know if i mentioned this but it, it reminds me a little bit of disney world where like the thing that that always like sort of freaked me out about disney world is that like it's such a construction but like at all points you can see the um 
the seams, right? And I feel like like Tati is saying that's true of literally everything. And there, there's almost a democratization that happens there that's really fascinating and and sort of um, humanistic. Um, and and it's interesting, right? Because I think that that there is a place for critique of the way that modern society has has built these barriers. Um, and the need for people to break these barriers. But I think that Tati's point is more that like, we almost don't have to worry because human beings are made to break through barriers of power and control and observation, right? Like who low smashes the glass, right? Like he's the guy who does it. And everyone else, as soon as that glass is smashed, they follow suit, right? Like they immediately acclimate to their new environment because that's the environment they were made for, right? Or not made for, but that they, that they are, that they intuitively understand. Um, so there's something really interesting happening there. Uh, and similarly, um, the, the restaurant scene. So I, I think we've kind of been talking about, uh, the scene in the restaurant as kind of the second half. That's, that's not similar to the first. I think that that is maybe true aesthetically. Right. But I think that we are supposed to kind of thematically, you know, if, if the, cubicles are these kind of squared off areas and similarly the apartments are as well and the the space on the the trade show floor um i think we are supposed to view uh the ways that these tables are set up uh in this uh, restaurant mm-hmm. right and by oh, the end of yeah. that sequence everybody has broken out the the ceiling is caved in but everybody's dancing in the aisles nobody is sitting at the same table they were before um very specifically you know the the, the i believe it's the other american the male american tourist uh, the businessman who just kind of for no reason says, I don't want that table. I want that table over there. It's the exact same table. It has the exact same right. place settings, right? Um, and by the end of that scene, everybody has broken free of those uh, constraints that are not necessarily necessarily as physical uh, as the constraints of a cubicle, uh, but are kind of, you know, based on societal standards, right? Social, and our understanding yeah. of, yeah, how we act in uh, uh you know, a restaurant, right? Um, it, it does make me feel like we don't see the cubicles like come crashing down here, but it does remind me of the scene from like office space where the main character like just pushes uh, the walls of his office down uh, to create this, this larger office uh, that is kind of free of the, the constraints. It, it feels like a predecessor to that in a, in a weird way to me. Sure. Uh, Aaron, if you can keep talking for a little bit, there are two things I want to get into before we get to Cody's noties. And one of them is your science fiction take. Uh, it sounded like you wanted to dig a little bit further into that. Is there anything, I any more meat on that bone? If you want me to, but I, don't I know absolutely do. I am prompting you directly to do that. Please reference Gene Wolfe at least once. Uh, I can't, uh, I can't. Yes. If you are looking for, uh, more office space, this is not what I meant. Oh, Jesus. Uh, predictions uh, of uh, the future in the workplace. There is a great uh, Gene Wolfe uh, novella uh, named Forlesen, uh, Forlesen, a uh, German word which means to lose completely. SMF can't uh, even pronounce about, the books he loves. It's, it's, it's a novella, not a book. Uh, it's about a, a person, this MF a robot can't even or the something. Who wakes up in a dystopian society uh, with very rigid rules? A day is, you know, twenty four thousand hours long, and at the very end, that is the end of his life. And he goes to work, and he gets promoted arbitrarily. And uh, it's it's very 
look, I, I'm joking about the Gene Wolfe reference, but it does feel science fiction because science fiction was grappling with the same things, right? And often badly, right? Like if you go back and you you read a lot of science fiction or you watch a lot of like early science fiction films and TV shows, um, their image of the future was was very much tethered to the present uh, in a way that was like extremely bad at actually predicting what things would turn into, right? Like uh, if you look at my uncle, the appliances in my uncle, uh, which are like very comedic, uh, are ridiculous because those are, of course, not going to be the appliances of the future, right? An appliance that cooks one steak and flips it for you, of course, does not have the actual utility uh, that you need in a kitchen. In a kitchen, you need a bunch of appliances that can handle uh, multiple different um, kind of uh, uh, ways of cooking food and different food, right? And for a large family and that that kind of an appliance does not work. But the thing that's being done there is it is it is kind of making fun of the specificity of these new gadgets, right? In the same way that uh, the, the camper car uh, from traffic was doing, right? Why do you need a grill to pop out of the front of your car that you can cook like one piece of meat on? Why can you not just bring a grill in your giant car? Um, because it's kind of funny and it's a knickknack and it solves a very specific need that nobody actually uh, needs to have fulfilled, right? And it feels like a lot of that is being done here. Um, you know, you don't actually need a vacuum that floats, right? You can just have a Roomba. It just has wheels. Wheels work. Hmm. They've worked for thousands of years, right? Um, but even though that's not like actually prophetic or realistic in how it was anticipating things, it still feels like it kind of gets to the thematic core of the ridiculous nature of offices and uh, domestic life um, in an interesting way, I think. Yeah, I think that's something that appears in all of the movies we've watched. Right, Harry? Yeah, um, I would just like to say that, like, I think Aaron characterized it well because it's like the idea is that that it's it's not necessarily about the actual predictive qualities so much as it is about like the metaphor that you're going for, right? Like, I think all of these jokes work as like a perfect metaphor for like the sharper imageization of technology, right? Where it's like it's the, these very specific overpriced sort of like status symbols that aren't actually all that different from like what a stove was in the 1950s, because it's still very like keeping up with the Joneses, but it's sort of like adapting that to modernity. And so there's, there's sort of a core to the idea that like, in my mind, like really good science fiction sort of anticipates how humans are going to develop because it, it keeps the idea of what humanity is sort of like very close. And I think that's what this movie does really successfully is it sort of like demonstrates how the fundamental things apply as time goes by. Right. Um, even as sort of technology develops in, in, in a very almost comforting way uh, in this movie's case in less comforting ways in, in other science fiction. Right. But like, I think that, that that's something that great, science fiction does i think we talked about that in akira um i just watched blade runner so i would shout out blade runner as doing something like that as well um but but it's sort of like this idea that um that uh you're you're applying this sort of like human nature forward right right and that the lens we look at it with now is necessarily different from the one with which we will see it next year or the year after uh, great take, Aaron. Great supporting points. Harry, um, the last thing I want to do, if it's not already part of our Cody's Noties, of course, Cody's Noties are completely confidential, much like the Oscars, uh, much more important than the Oscars, but much like the Oscars, um, they stole our format. Uh, they are secret to all of us. So I don't know if this is going to be an element of them. Um, but I do want to know, should we spend a little bit of time ranking the Tatiti films we've seen now that this is like the close of our series? There are only four. I feel like it wouldn't be very hard. That will not be part of the Noties. Um, 
so yeah, I, I think if we, we want to end with that, I do have, I, I guess, a couple of really stray thoughts um, that oh, sure. I could just g- get out there really, really quickly, um, potentially, uh, this first one especially, um, just as like a recommendation. I thought of it as we were watching uh, Playtime, and I think it works well as a complement to all of the Tati films in this series that, that we watched and discussed, you know, as a, another work that, you know, looks at... W- you know, spaces and structures that corral and confine people and sort of the explorations of like what's really doing that, uh, then I would say watch The Exterminating Angel, uh, the Buñuel film. Uh, and actually, he seems like a good, I'm talking out of my ass a little bit because I've only seen one other of his films, but he seems like a good filmmaker bringing in a lot of that same sort of uh, critical energy to, um, you know, to. so I guess, I don't know. If you feel like it, then that's probably one worth checking out. Um, and I guess putting a, a sort of bow on the the thing I brought up in the, our Mononcle episode ha- hasn't really felt necessary to bring up. But I, I guess again, just to kind of cap it, the um, you know the fact that Tati has had um, a, a, has made some less, or rather, he made some less than stellar decisions uh, in his personal life, specifically on the note of giving up his um, his firstborn child. Uh, and you know, if that ties into these movies or the Hulu character in any way, um, I don't know if I can come to really any concrete conclusions. I don't know if I was necessarily, uh, anticipating being able to do so, um, just in, you know, the four weeks of watching his movies one a week. Um, maybe there is something to the fact that, you know, as we have seen, there's, you know, Hulu is sort of a, uh, not necessarily a messenger, but he's kind of a consistency through all these environments that we're poking fun at and uh, critiquing and learning about and reacting to. There's not a whole lot of interiority to the Hulo character. Um, maybe there's something to that. Um, again, given those uh, personal life choices he's made, maybe there's not anything there at all. And, you know, you can, we're just squinting and and reading too far into it, but nevertheless, it's there. Um, It's maybe worth bringing up. Um, If other people have thoughts on that, you know, feel free, but I don't blame you if you don't. I I don't know if this is really the forum for that, but I just wanted to get that out there. Um, That's kind of the the small bit that I came away with. Tati canceled? Uh, yeah. I mean, he's also, he's also, he's also dead. Right. So, I mean, that's like the ultimate cancellation. That's like step one. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather be dead than canceled personally. That's, that's actually a really good point. Um, yeah, sorry. We can rank stuff now. Just wanted to to say that. Go on, Jason. (laughs) Get around to the bullshit. I didn't actually get any bites on ranking. Do we, do we really want to do that? Yeah, look, everybody agrees traffic is the worst one of these fucking films. All right. Actually traffic here. Here's a, here's a thing. Traffic. Uh, which is a, f- a f- it was a fine film to watch. It is not a bad movie, uh, but it does watching this, understanding that it is the the film that he created after Playtime as a response to Playtime, specifically with the the character of Hulo like front and center in order to help make up for some of the financial burdens that he saw as a result of like the, the incredible production of Playtime and uh, its you know less than stellar commercial reception. Uh, Traffic, man, just seems like so bad in comparison. Uh, And maybe that's a little harsh, but like it's so like naturalistic in a way that just doesn't work to Tati's style. Just like 
there, there is nothing that is like as striking as the shot of the cubicles from this film. Or even even if you want to say like, oh, that's all easy stuff. Like traffic is doing uh, this other stuff in a, a different manner that works just as well. Like there's nothing that even comes close to like the restaurant sequence, which is is, you know, about. Yes, there are these kind of uh, rigid angles and confines that we're you know, aware of at the beginning of that scene. But by the end, it's pandemonium and shit's falling apart. Like there's just like nothing in traffic that like compares to the best moments from Playtime or My Uncle or even well, uh, Monster yeah, Lowe's Holiday. Not, not favorably anyway, right? Like I will probably remember the dead piton dog scene <laughs> yes. from traffic for I a long time. But I, I, but I, I defended but that. It's not, <laughs> but it's not because I like it. You know, I will remember it, but for being kind of a sour note. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just, you know, there are so many great filmmakers who have, uh, you know, done what traffic does, but it's just like, there's none of those environments that are interesting in that way. Like the, the auto garage that like does feel like a place that's lived in, but then like nothing is done with that environment. It's just kind of a bummer, man. So it's, that's obviously number four, obviously number four. I don't know who would dis maybe Harry we, would disagree. Are we all, agree- this one as are much? We all agree- in agreement that, that traffic is the number four of the four Tati films we've watched. Yeah. Traffic was my yep. number. I don't know. It's just like, it's kind of like Aaron said, like uh, if this playtime is like fucking uh, Tati's like um, Fellini movie, right. Where it's just like yeah. gigantic. And like, by comparison, uh, like traffic feels like a mumblecore movie. Right, like and <laughs> well, it's a road trip movie. Yeah, right. you know, it's, it's like I don't know. I mean, like you're right. Like I think that in terms of like, like I think Traffic is called a minor movie. I like Traffic. I think it's good. I don't know. I like. I actually love a road trip movie. Like I'm crazy about fucking Vim Vendors. So like I'm all about a road trip movie. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like it's it's very much. It feels like the most minor of of his attempts with Hulo's character, yeah. in my opinion. I. Oh, I, I turned on my mic, but I was just going to say, "What's three? Do you have another point about traffic?" I was gonna, I was going to say, "Look, just count, just counting." Um, look, I, everybody knows I love ranking stuff. Uh, traffic four, uh, holiday okay. three, my uncle two, playtime one. That's it. And Whoa. if you want to switch, yeah. if you want to say yeah. I enjoyed my uncle a little bit more, that's fine. It's not as good of a movie, but like it, it is probably more enjoyable to watch in the moment. Uh, so we could, you, you know, you, you uh, personally, you can switch that, but I feel like that list is, is unimpeachable in my mind. Playtime number one after Mon Oncle yeah. had us all like in yeah, agreement it's a, it's that it's a a sincerely film. one of the better films we've ever seen. You're, you're being empowered and you're, you're going with critical consensus rather than your it's, heart, Aaron. No, play, play, no, my heart is Playtime. Playtime is the better film. It's a better film. I... Wow, I did not I, know. Playtime is get the one heated. film as the guy who moved to Chicago that I'm like, I am very upset. I cannot see that at the trial on. I would love to see this on the big screen. That is a big bummer for me. Uh, if I was in Minnesota, I would be doing that. Well, uh, I kind of want to cut it there because I feel like you're not giving this, uh, you're not taking this seriously anymore. Um, Sneak preview of uh, the 2021 Golden Berries, uh, ladies Holy and gentlemen. Oh, I'm going to be, yeah, that's not going to, yeah. Yeah, he's gonna be such a fucking heel on that episode. Out. I'm just gonna start sending over like critical like articles about playtime and just trying to slowly move the. I can't slowly wait to move that river. One that we knock off that list, so it's like number nine on the list. <laughs> no, no, eat shit. Playtime. Uh, well, I mean, my my personal number three probably playtime. Number two, holiday. Number one, mono clay. That's kind. I guess I know that's all. That's. No, that's almost reverse order of how we watched them, because number four would be, for me, Traffic. Uh, 
I mean, it just, I, I don't know how much I can really support those arguments beyond what we've already discussed about these movies, but I feel like the amount of fun and the amount of thought I was able to give each uh, film and still be rewarded for it and, you know, sort of have more to say about it. Maybe it affects, like Harry was saying, negatively uh, playtime in particular because it's the last one we're watching. It is the end of our series rather than somewhere near the beginning, but it definitely did not have the same uh, heft punch feel or fun, I guess, that until the last hour that mononcle did anyway i'm uh, i'm willing to open the floor no i i think ultimately my list falls in the same order as jason's right so traffic uh traffic at four playtime at three monsieur los holiday at two um and mononcle at one honestly mm-hmm. like two and three uh like holiday and playtime for me just uh, and this is i guess kind of like a, a cheap asterisk but like depending on what mood i'm in or like how i'm feeling watching either of those i could see myself swapping them i gotta give bonus points to monsieur Lowe's holiday for uh the tennis inclusion as well as the fact that we made a, a twitter account based off of uh something like, yeah. from that movie um, but monocle yeah monocle for me is like a, a for sure like the for sure number one of the list i think harry dare you uh, I was gonna. I, Cody kind of stole my thunder, but I basically agree with um, with everybody uh, sorry, else. For Aaron, no, it's cool. Um, I would just add that, like, it's actually really interesting uh, for me and probably nobody else to compare Monsieur Hulot's Holiday and Playtime because I think Playtime is is unquestionably the the more impressive movie, um, technically and formally, but. I also think that Monsieur Hulot's Holiday is a better use of the Hulot character, and I think that I, it's absolutely it's thematically tighter. Like, I just mm-hmm. think I like the idea of that liminal space and these liminal participants in that space, well, and what Hulot represents there better than I like the way that it's used in playtime because playtime is just like necessarily broader. And so I guess that's just, it's illuminating in terms of a personal sensibility. I don't think that that is, I'm not calling Hulot's holiday a better movie. I just think that like, I am very invested in that sensibility more so than playtime, I guess. And like, I appreciate the the broadness of playtime and the sort of universality that it's aiming at, but there's something about like, how charming and how um like cozy that microscopic uh microscopic uh like scope is mm-hmm, right that mm-hmm. like i just like man when i think about monsieur ulo's holiday I'm, i i feel so warm and like i want to watch that again on like a a summer night right whereas yeah. like playtime is like is something i'm dazzled by right but i'm not i'm not warmed by it in the same way i don't think and then um monsieur our uh mon uncle was the first one we watched and it like it blew my mind in terms of like a lot of what it was doing um and so like i have a lot of uh appreciation for that i don't i've never laughed as hard at a hulo movie as i did at the um the big scene in that one and that scene is still what i think about when i think about tati so that's why it's number one for me definitely uh i think the further up that list we go the more potent those movies become like you were saying it doesn't like not all of them use those tools in the same way or to the same effect and it's really the potency of the humor and sort of the commentary it's trying to make uh that that is a good intersection for me of indicating quality and we just like i guess i I should also like i should preface this but this is still like four of this director's eight credited films and they're still significantly better than a lot of comedies you'll watch um especially that try to ape this same style so uh, go in knowing that you could watch any of these and probably have a good time. But um, oh yeah, 
I mean, yeah. like, I think I gave traffic a 3.5 on Letterboxd. Not that Letterboxd means anything, but like, I I would not give any of these movies beneath a four otherwise, right? For like, sure, for sure. They're, they're all like mastery at what they're doing. Well, there you have it, folks, uh, listeners. A definitive ranking of tattoo films according to four oh. of us. Yep. Uh, all four of us are in unanimous agreement about that ranking. No. Uh, and you, that will be reflected in the 2021 Golden Berries um, yeah. coming uh, late this year, early next. But we have one final segment to get through before we call this uh, Tati Closer. And, uh, and I think I need Harry's help bringing it in. I would love to help, Jason. It's my favorite segment of all. It's the segment we like to call... <gasps> Cody's Noties! Wow. Um, or whatever is French for wow. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, very much. Le, oh, le very wow. good. Le wow. Uh, thank you, as always, for that uh, very constructive introduction. Uh, we've had a lot of fun here on Trilove talking about the uh, the eccentricities of the French. Uh, it would be bad manners on our part to exit this series without first diving into French cinema, even just a little bit. So um, I think what we should do now is put on our bibs and dig into some omelette de trivia. And for those listening who may be unfamiliar, that segment name is an aggressively American reference to that episode of Dexter's Laboratory, where all he can say is omelette du fromage. Um, <clears throat> thank you. But in any case, uh, for this... Yeah, uh, for this exercise, I will be presenting clues that allude to various films that have some sort of connection to France. My evergreen disclaimer for these types of games is that I've done my best to handpick movies that we're all at least generally familiar with. As I'm reading, if you yeah, uh, you're welcome. As I'm reading, if you think you know the film being described, raise your little Zencaster hand. I'll, I'll have my eyes out for those. Once I see a hand raised, I'll stop reading. I'll call on you. And if you're correct, you'll get a point. If you're not correct, we'll keep going until someone can get it right. Each person will only get one guess per round, so use that guess wisely. Uh, this is sort of a like a fastest hand game where time is of the essence, but I'll remind anyway, they all? noodles, noodles, not Googles. Um I love how there's, there's always a disclaimer before this, and it's increasingly like Cody saying, hey, I'm Cody, and I've seen uh, eight times the movies that these other three fucking nincompoops have seen combined, and so I, <laughs> I really dumbed it down on their behalf, so I appreciate that, Cody. That's, look, uh, subtext versus text is uh, is a crazy thing. I'm just kidding. Uh, a, a few more notes about this game um, for this already beefy noty segment. Uh, I alluded just a second ago with my Dexter's Lab ref to casting an American-flavored net over this. Unlike when we wore our Hungary Dungarees during the Damnation episode, um, which, listen to that if you would like uh, after seeing the movie, or not, because that's a hard movie to find. Um, and we talked about Hungarian cinema through a much more limited scope. Lots of decidedly more popular films from our uh, western perspective have been produced in france and or contain french dialogue which is to say it'd be worth uh taking these moments uh to mentally prepare for a different wider range of films to be on the table here uh on that note also be prepared for more opportunities for points this is where that beefiness comes in uh, i just felt like including we, more movies this time go ahead jason thank you no can we remind everybody uh what the score is on our tati um uh games oh, i don't tati think that's necessary movies? I oh boy, I there's like yours will know. I just said these are going to be longer. Yeah. Note, I think we got to get. <laughs> yeah, like, we're gonna, can't be too uh, long. Just, like, remember, at a certain point, we have to gotta, move you know, on with what we're if doing. I remember, if I remember the cardinal rule, Cody, uh, Cody, last, Cody, last, I think we should last, get on. Last answer wins. Last winner wins. Right? Like I was the last winner, so I win. All right, we're in. So 
so I, I think canonically the only um, game that has spanned the course of multiple episodes is the spooky Yuki guessing game from this past uh, autumn. Um, I will take this as a singular, as a singular game. Uh, and I guess to wrap up these very long disclaimers, uh, my prediction is that it will take us less clue runway to get to where y'all can make informed guesses just by necessity of there being more movies. And because of time constraints, uh, I know Aaron has family over or something. We got to get him back to the fam. So with all that said, I think we can finally jump in and, uh, And so for our first movie here, in regular times, this is a favorite midnight movie at the Uptown Theater in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's psychedelic and a little disturbing. This is a relative. Jason, uh, I see your hand raised. Do you have a guess for me? Uh, Not a good one. It's Perfect Blue. Perfect Blue is the guess. Um, That's actually incorrect. Uh, I will keep reading as long as nobody else uh, has a guess here. Uh, this is a relatively short animated feature film as well as a Harry. I see your hand raised. What's up? Is it Belladonna of Sadness? It is not Belladonna of Sadness. Uh, uh, oh, I know uh, another, what it is too. Fuck. An, an, another good guess. Uh, as well as a previous episode, I did not go back and check the tape, but I believe the episode was just Harry, Jason, and I. What movie is this? Aaron, you're the only one remaining with a guess. Why? Oh. Wow. Way to listen to the episodes you're not on. Well, yeah, I had listened I, to them if I've seen the movie, and now I'm thinking maybe I didn't see the movie. Uh, I, I don't some, know what it is. Some, somehow we don't have video, but I can still see Aaron's ass all over the screen. I don't know, I don't know what it is. Uh, do you oh. want to venture a guess just for shits and gigs? No, I mean, uh, the... the, the, the uh, no, I don't, I don't think that would be... Okay, uh, no, I don't think Trail-Off is not the correct answer. Uh, it's actually Fantastic Planet. This is a French-language film that was co-produced by French and Czechoslovakian production companies. Um, A a rare swing and a miss from this this crowd, but don't worry. We have uh, nine more opportunities for you fellas to get points, so I'll just rattle through uh, onto this next one here for number two. This uh, Harry Potter installment was our introduction to Beau Battens, Fleur Delacour, and Robert Pattinson. Uh, I saw Jason's hand a split second before Harry's. Uh, not on my screen. My hand, my hand first, and it is Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Harry Potter in the Goblet of Fire. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, uh, the the grumblings have started already. Um, I will say shout out to Clemence Poesy. Uh, I think I got that at least halfway correct. She's great in this movie and also in the film in Bruges. Uh, she's also in Tenet. Uh, it's that thing where Nolan pulls in like you know peripheral but recognizable names to fill out his secondary and tertiary characters, and that's you know a recent film. So I figured I'd shout that out as well. She's great in that role. Oh, no, um, in Tenet. Now I have to yeah. see them. Yeah, and honestly, not to get too far into it, um, she's in the beginning uh, of the movie, and then you don't have to watch the rest of it if you don't want to. Yeah, I can turn it off after that. All right. Exactly. Um, But yeah, I guess more importantly for our purposes, Jason is on the board now. He's got a point. We're going to move on to number three here. Uh, And for number three, you're what the French call les incompetents. Harry, what's your guess? That is Home Alone. That is Home Alone, uh, a classic staple of French language cinema. Um, Moving right along to to number four here. Uh, So just to contextualize this, number three is Eraserhead. Number two is Blue Velvet. What is number one? That's my framing for this question. Aaron? Uh, Mulholland Drive? Uh, 
Mulholland Drive. Yes, those are the three most popular films of David Lynch, going by number of letterboxed entries. That was a sort of abstract question, um, and I'm glad that kind of worked out. Mulholland Drive was a French-American co-production, the French part of that due to some funding from Studio Canal. Uh, so shout-outs. And shout-outs to uh, our fine uh, contestants here. Everybody's on the board. We're tied at one apiece. We're going to scoot right along to, or lay scoot along to number five here. I'm going to stop doing that. That's uh, a shout-out to our French audience if you're listening and haven't turned this off yet. Number five, this is the movie Aaron thought I was going to have as an answer in the noties from the Mon Oncle episode. Aaron, what's your guess? More. Amore. I wanted to get into more uh, because seriously, for anybody listening who hasn't seen it, you should definitely see it. Uh, it's very, very good. Um, I wish there were more questions that were suited for me instead of obviously uh, advantaging Aaron. You literally he's, he's got rated. an animated film that you, you and Jason did not get despite both of you seeing that movie and recording on it without me having seen it or recorded on it. He's kind of got you there. Well, uh, it's not like any movies. I don't, I don't know what you want from me here. Uh, more points, smacking. More points, smacking. Uh, for number six, <clears throat> Koyab. Jason, what's your oh. guess? The Incredibles. The Incredibles. I don't think this one needs any further explanation. I will say Harry was just behind him in the hand raising category. That's um, my, my what favorite, is, there, is that a quote from the any Pixar movie? <laughs> oh, sorry, what is it? <laughs> Uh, the Incredibles. Uh, bon voyage. Uh, uh, he says, Monsieur Incroyable uh, in, a, in a scene. Do you not remember yes, It's a French line. He comes walking into the bank vault uh, after having blown it up, and um, Mr. Incredible goes, Bon voyage. And he's dressed up as a mime, and he goes, Monsieur Incroyable. And the subtitles say, Mr. Incredible. And it's <laughs> funny. It, it, it rules. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that scene. It's been a, It's been like a decade, but yeah. True, it has been like a decade. Jason, did you have something? I saw your hand up there briefly. I didn't. I was I was trying to mic so that I could uh, laugh, but I accidentally hit the hand. Sorry. Ah, gotcha. Um, well, hey. He's so, uh, so ready for those points. He's so hungry. Hey, I, I don't blame you. We've only got uh, four more opportunities for points here. Right now, we've got uh, Aaron and Jason sitting uh, atop the leaderboard, tied with two apiece. Harry is right behind them, however, with one. Still very much anybody's game. Uh, again, moving along to, to number seven here. Uh, we were actually just talking about this movie in the group chat in the context of Murder by Death isn't quite this movie, but it's still fun. Uh, Aaron, I see your hand. What's your guess? Clue. Clue. It's clue. No, he was, uh, he, was a, he was asking for a clue. I don't yeah, think he was he, asking for a clue. I, 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 I uh, like right, Weisenheimers. Uh, I think if he says literally just clue and and no other, uh, uh, you know, he annotations. said it with an upward inflection, though, very clearly indicating that he was asking. It's very clearly clue, downward, which is, uh, which is against Nodi's rules. I'm taking it. Okay. this one. This one's going to the I'm, board. Uh, I'm stepping out of the peanut it's gallery. Uh, speaking of midnight movies, uh, more shout outs here to going to movies, which, Hey, um, someday soon, hopefully at least some of us here saw this at uptown uh, a few years back at midnight. It's been a while. I believe I haven't been saying what the French connections are for some of these, but I, Hey, the French connection. Uh, I, I believe that one in this case comes from Colleen camps made character named Yvonne, who is pretending to be French for part of the movie or something. Uh, obviously this lapse in memory means I am due for a rewatch, uh, cause Clue's great, right? Clue's good. We like we like Clue. character for young Aaron. Uh, hmm. And we are going to simp. Wow, we're gonna bypass that completely. Uh, holy buckets! Number eight here. 
this is another previous episode, so uh, tune up your ears, gentlemen. We recorded this one in quarantine with a very special guest. One character, uh, I see Jason's hand. Jason, do you have a guess? I want to say, based on nothing, Son of the White Mare. Son of the White Mare is the guess. Uh, it is not the correct answer, though. So yeah, we will, yeah. we'll, well, I shot we'll for the stars. Going. Nobody else would. Hey, fair. Got to shoot your shot um, and land amongst uh, the the flat earth. Uh, one character in this movie <laughs> is cl- is claiming to be a qualified French tutor to get close to another character. Uh, Harry, I see your hand. Do you have a guess? No, never mind. I take it back. I took my hand off the piece. No, no, I think that's not how that works. Wait, we you took it off the piece or you episode? left it on the piece? I took that's... it off the piece. Or no, I left it on the piece. Harry, why do you make a guess since you have time here? Why I don't, don't, make I a don't guess? have a guess. I'm sorry. I, I fucked up. Oh, okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll see what happens here. This is at a school. JGL plays a simp. What movie is this? Aaron, what's your guess? Uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. 10 no. Things I Hate About You, question mark, is, uh, yep, that's the correct answer. It's an episode Sorry, that Taylor... Taylor oh, I, I didn't yeah. forget you. I just... Yeah, I, yeah. I, it is an episode that Taylor's Astro joined that. us for. Uh, and it's an episode that I quite like about a, a movie I've come to quite like i think uh with the these past few rounds aaron has taken a a more commanding lead he's up to four jason's back with two harry at one we've got two more questions here and uh speaking of movies i quite like after years of increases in the greenhouse effect havoc is wreaked globally in the form of catastrophic hurricanes tornadoes aaron you have a guess uh forgetting the fucking name give me once uh, the day after tomorrow the day after tomorrow uh, is correct. I'm going to read the rest of this. It's mostly, it's mostly just the letterbox thing. Um, uh, Havoc is wreaked globally in the form of catastrophic hurricanes, tornadoes, tidal waves, floods, and the beginning of a new ice age. Uh, capital ice, capital age. Uh, you get it. Paleoclimatologist Jack Hall tries to warn the world while also contending with his son who is trapped in New York after the city is overwhelmed by the onslaught of extreme weather. It is the day after tomorrow, a movie I thought it would be fun to shoehorn in right now because I'm guessing nobody else here really gives a shit about it. Um, I've had a soft spot for that movie ever since I was like 12 and I thought long and hard about maybe picking it for the non-lon series we did recently just to be an ass. Um, But yeah, there's a a secondary character who's French that Emmy Rossum's character interacts with during, uh, namely during one of the big uh, action set pieces. Rather, uh, so shout out. I I will um, shout out to you after tomorrow. Heads. Sorry, go ahead, Jason. uh, This one's also going to the board because Aaron very. If we go back to the transcript, Aaron very clearly asked for more time and then said the day after tomorrow, indicating that he wanted until the day after tomorrow to answer the question. That was not, in fact, his guess. Uh, read the movie vis-a-vis the actual film he was more time of Aaron's points here. I think is is what indeed indeed. Uh, And I agree with that. uh, I'm considering him at three safe points. Hmm. Well, by saying this, you have now uh, created multiple timelines, and uh, there will be a, a, a TV episode made about this someday. Um, Cody, not this for the, the moment, last... anyway. Cody, is this the last? No. Is this the last question? Just curious. Yes, uh, we we are uh, uh, encroaching so upon. Tie it up. It's worth five points, though, right, Cody? As as always, so it uh, is worth the same amount of points as they always are, which is just one unit of point. Uh, and for our tenth and final movie, look. If I had wings like Noah's dove, uh, Aaron, what the fuck is your hand doing? Aaron, so he right. I, I, down. He wow. can't, he can't I know. Way. I put it up at the very beginning. At no, the very beginning, did. intended to make it a guess before Cody actually uh, read. I don't know what you are referencing. I was going to guess that it was going to be the 400 blows. If it is not, just let me know. It is not. Get out of here. Harry, what's your guess? It's inside Lewin Davis. 
play yeah. me something oh, yeah. from inside Lewin Davis, another Studio Canal co-production. Um, look, uh, final scoreboard here. Uh, we've got Harry and Jason tied it to uh, a piece. Aaron came away with the trophy today with five points. Thanks for playing uh, f- fellow gents, I can't guarantee we're now more educated in the realm of French cinema, but on the bright side, I think we can only go up from here. So that's something. More like Sacre you, Cody. Thank you so much for your entertaining <gasps> and informative notes every time. Uh, this is just for the listeners. Hey, listeners, get in, get in close. I, I, I only do this show for the Cody's notes. I do not do it to discuss films. I discuss it to win or lose at Cody's notes week in, week out. Uh, but this has been our episode about Playtime, a 1967 film directed by Jacques Tati. It is playing at the Trilon this coming uh, weekend. You can get tickets at trilon.org. Um, it is the final movie in our series on Tati. We've covered uh, three other films that we've discussed in this episode as well. Uh, go back and listen to those. They're a lot of fun. And check out the rest of his filmography if you get time. Uh, if they're any good, let me know. Um, but until then, my name is Jason Daphnis. Uh, this tr- podcast is called Trilove. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon Cinema at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Uh, we are going to exit. Uh, wow, I don't know why I led in with that. My name is Jason, again, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. That was a journey. Thank you, Jason. Um, shout out to Chaco the Cat uh, for all of you Trilove bingo card holders out there. Um, he's asleep on the couch and has been a good boy throughout this episode. Uh, thank you for listening uh, to this series. It's been fun. Uh, I don't even know what we're going to be doing next, so that'll be a fun thing to find out in the coming days. Uh, but for now, I've been Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I think we're doing Bogdanovich next, right? Uh, but anyway, I forgot about the Trilon bingo card. So for anyone playing out there, uh, fucking Yakuza Zero, um, Camus. Uh, um, uh, you actually already got uh, two different spaces on the Trilon uh, Trilove bingo cards. One for saying the word liminal. So if you were following along to the episode and you do have uh, Harry saying the word liminal on your bingo card please mark that off. He also said the, the word liminal the three times total. So if mm. you have the bingo spot that is separate for Harry saying liminal three well, times over the course of an episode, please mark that one off as well. Make sure to do I should, I should award, I should award listeners one more uh, space for Harry also saying the word lesbian at least once. Um, that is worth uh, another space. L words. He, he I don't know if we're talking about lesbians. Guys, I gotta be honest. I don't know why that one got on. Okay, there, but you but... do liminal, you do admit liminal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can take yeah. the English major out of the boy, but you can't, you know, um, etc. I've been Harry Magan, uh, the former champion of uh, Cody's Noties. Uh, once in future champion, you might want to call me. Um, I certainly will be calling myself that because stay tuned. And you can find me on Twitter at Chitakiri. Well, we're no longer in a liminal space in regard to who is the reigning champ of Cody's Noties Trivia. Uh, Once again, it is Aaron, uh, not just the the reigning champ for today, but if you add up all of the games we've done trivia-wise, I'm on top. I'm number one. I've had haters. I've had doubters. I've had people who say, uh, oh, Aaron's never going to win another game of Cody's Noties Trivia. Guess what? Uh, I did. Okay, so yeah, you add up my competitors, not even making a dent. Boom, five points. Five out of ten, baby, 50%. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at please. although I should say that I'm currently taking a break from Twitter. So uh, my account check. is locked, so I will not. Okay, yeah. anyway, bye. Uh, just a, a few more bingo spaces uh, to send you all home with. Um, shout out to the Trilon. Come on the pod. Uh, coming soon to the Trilove shop. 
Um, and uh, finally, finally, uh, just remember, we were the first to study silence. That's progress. Progress.